Matthew 26, 26 through 29. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take it, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave it, and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which, it, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Thank you, Micah, for reading our scripture tonight. We are looking tonight at Matthew chapter 26 in relationship to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we will primarily be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following, as we think about the Lord's Supper. I appreciate Jared preaching for me in my absence last Sunday night. And I'm very grateful for the church here and for every good work that is going on. And last week I was in Atlanta in a meeting, and I'm glad that even though I was away that everything went on like clockwork. Uh, and so that's a great thing. It's a great thing when we have a lot of good people that pull together, work together, pray together, labor together, and worship together. And I think it, it says that we have a great congregation here. I had the opportunity to speak in five different churches last week in, a, in an area-wide meeting. They called it a progressive meeting in South Atlanta. And one of the purposes was to strengthen the church to, I think, help them by way of fellowship. And I can truly say that we have a great congregation. When you go out and visit other congregations and you begin looking at, at some of the things that are going on, it makes you appreciate home. And I appreciate what's going on here and I appreciate each and every one of you. Tonight we're gonna to be talking about the Lord's Supper. We have been talking on Sunday evenings about New Testament worship. And tonight, I want us to think about one of the five acts of worship, and we will be looking at the other four acts in successive weeks, the Lord willing. But tonight, we want to think about the Lord's Supper. And we know that the Lord's Supper is important because the early church partook of the Lord's Supper. And they did so every first day of the week, according to Acts chapter 20 at verse 7. And we are blessed with the opportunity to remember the death of Christ every first day of the week. And so we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. And I want us to, to look at this memorial feast in a very simplistic way. Because I think when you look at the scriptures and you see what the Bible has to say, it's really cut and dried in terms of the Lord's Supper and the significance of it to those of us who belong to the body of Christ. The first thing that I want to call your attention to is that the Lord's Supper requires us to look backward at the Savior. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, one of the things that we are doing is reminding ourselves retrospectively of the death of Jesus. And so with that in mind, first, let me talk to you for just a minute or two about the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was the one who instituted 
this memorial feast. Now Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul in writing to the saints at Corinth is really correcting their abuse of the Lord's Supper. And many of the saints in the first century that comprised the church at Corinth had a, had a misunderstanding of the reverence that is to accompany this memorial feast and, and really the significance of this memorial feast. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul, writing by inspiration, and he received revelation from Almighty God, said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Now, Jesus, we understand that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He did so in an effort so that you and I, those of us who belong to the body of Christ, would bring to the fore on a regular basis the significance of his death for our sins. Now you can look back at Matthew chapter 26, the passage that Micah read a moment ago. The physical location where we partake of the Lord's Supper is insignificant. The place, however, where we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is significant. We partake of the Lord's Supper in the Father's kingdom, according to verse 29. You and I, we are blessed as members of the kingdom of God. We belong to the body of Christ. And as members of the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ, we partake of this weekly feast, reminding ourselves of the death of Jesus. Now, as we think about the institution of the Lord's Supper, let me just call attention to the importance of the Lord's Supper. Now again, why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, Jesus underscores why we partake of this weekly memorial feast. Two times Paul says in this context, speaking from what Jesus had instituted on the night in which he was betrayed, do this in remembrance of me. There are two specific things that we remember that we are asked to remember every first day of the week. And so with that in mind, look again at verse 24. Jesus had taken the bread, and the Bible says he blessed it and broke it, according to Matthew's account, and gave it to the disciples and said, this is my body. Well, this is my body, which is broken for you, do in remembrance of me. We think about the physical body that was given in our stead on Golgotha, on Calvary's cross. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Back in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah said that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus vicariously suffered and died on Calvary. That is, he became a substitute for our sins. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so when we partake of the bread, we are reminding ourselves of the body that was literally nailed to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. He suffered for our sins. He died for us. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth over in chapter 15, he points out that the gospel is summed up in the fact that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised again on the third day. So first of all, we remind ourselves of the body of Jesus. But then look at verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now if you go back and look at Matthew chapter 26 in verse 28, when Jesus took the cup and gave it to the disciples, he gave thanks and the Bible tells us, he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant. In other words, this is the blood of the new covenant given for the remission of sins. Why did Jesus Christ go to the cross? Because we needed a redeemer. In going to the cross, what did Jesus do? Well, the Bible says he shed his blood so that we might enjoy forgiveness. Now, you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22? Without the shedding of blood, there is no, there is no remission. Without the blood of Christ, we would be lost. We sing the song from time to time, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There are numerous passages of scripture that underscore the fact that Christ shed his blood for our debt, for our sins. In John 19, verse 34, the Bible tells us that Jesus shed his blood in death. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 26, and this is really just an addendum to what we're talking about, but in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is given for the many for the remission of sins. He's saying that this blood is essential to what? To the forgiveness of our sins. Now if you turn over to Acts chapter two on Pentecost day when Peter preached the first gospel sermon. Do you remember those people who were present? The Bible says they were pricked or cut to the heart. And so they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So here's the point. Jesus shed his blood for what? For the remission of our sins. How do we appropriate the blood of Christ? We have to repent. We have to be baptized. That's correct. Our repentance preceded by belief or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Our immersion in water, preceded by confession that Jesus is the Son of God. But when we are immersed in a watery grave of baptism, what happens? We contact the blood of Christ. Now somebody might ask the question, why do I bring that up? Because there are a lot of people in the religious world that want to wave off Acts chapter 2, verse 38. However, the same phrase that is used in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is found in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus shed his blood the blood of the new covenant for the remission of sins. 
Was the blood of Christ essential to our forgiveness? Absolutely. What then is the conclusion? If we're going to appropriate the blood of Christ and enjoy forgiveness of sin, what do we have to do? Repent and be baptized so that what? So that we might be forgiven. I would encourage you, look at the phrases. Look at what Jesus said. Look at what Peter said. And Peter's speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Peter's simply saying that in order to appropriate the benefits and the blessings of salvation, you've got to be baptized into Christ. So individuals who wave off baptism, in a sense, would wave off the essentiality of the blood of Christ because the two passages are of equal import. So, the blood of Jesus. Look at all the passages in the New Testament that point to the significance of the blood of Christ. Now, Paul said that when we partake of the cup, that we remind ourselves of the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. Paul said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. God in his richness and in, well, really in, in the richness of his grace, kindness, and mercy, sent his son to die for our sins. Can we fully fathom what the Lord has done on our behalf? I don't know if we can, but I know one thing. God loved us enough to send his son so that we might enjoy forgiveness. It required his son going to the cross and shedding his blood. And so every first day of the week, we bring to mind the body given in our stead and the blood that was shed so that we might enjoy forgiveness. Without the blood of Christ, we would be lost. We would, as Paul said, be without hope, without God in this world. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. The blood of Christ, very important. The body of Christ, also very important. Now, there's a second thing I want to call your attention to as we look at our lesson text. We talk about looking backward at the Savior. But the Lord's Supper also requires us to look inward at self. In other words, introspectively, we evaluate our lives in light of the sacrifice of Jesus. So having said that, listen now to what Paul says in verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now we talk about the demand imposed on us as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Now you remember one of the things that we have discussed in studying worship and, and the many facets of worship is, is the fact that the mind has to be engaged in, in, in worship. Jesus said God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, we're to worship him with the right attitude. The heart, the mind, has to be attuned to the various acts that are taking place in worship. There are five acts of worship. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are examining ourselves, and I, and I think that we look at our lives in light of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And we think about the blessings and the privileges of being a part of his divine body. I'm reminded of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the Bible says his train 
the train of his robe filled the temple. And one of the seraphim cried out, Holy, 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 Lord of hosts. Isaiah, upon seeing the Lord high and lifted up, said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to very reverently and very carefully take our minds back to the cross and deliberate on what Jesus did on our behalf. Now somebody might ask the question, how do we do that? I understand that one of the problems, one of the challenges that, that confronts us when we come to worship is that we're trying to expunge the world from our minds so that we can lock in on the various acts of worship. And that is a challenge. And we live in a day and time that is entertainment oriented. And many of us, we can sit idly in front of a television set and we can be entertained. Well, worship is not about entertainment. We come to give and not necessarily to get. Now we get some things out of worship, but we come to give. God is the audience. We are the assembly. So when we come together on the first day of the week, we're trying to purge our minds of worldly thoughts and lock in on the various aspects of worship. So we partake, we partake of the Lord's Supper. First of all, we partake of the bread, reminding ourselves of the body of Christ. Are there passages that would help us to, to remember the body given in our stead? Well, absolutely. I cited it a moment ago, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21 and following. There, there are a lot of passages. You can, you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul recounts the institution of the Lord's Supper by the Lord Jesus Christ. Read Matthew chapter 26. The same thing goes true for the blood of Christ. Key in on those verses that accentuate the body and the blood of Jesus. It might be that there is a song that helps you to, to reflect upon the body and blood of Jesus in his death. It, it might be that you want to, to close your eyes and just lock in on that event. And, and bring to memory some of the verses that I've cited a moment ago. But the point is, when we engage in, in this act of worship, we have to go back to the cross. And we have to be attuned to what's going on. And we have to, we have to engage the mind. Now, there's a danger. One of the inherent dangers is that we partake of the Lord's Supper in a flippant or irreverent manner. Or maybe we just go through the motions. Sometimes we can be guilty of just going through the motions. That, that's why I said it's so important for us when we come together to worship to try to tune out the things of the world. There, there are so many things that vie for our attention even in the worship assembly. Those who are parents have small children. I understand that is a challenge. And sometimes small ch children are a challenge for other worshipers. If they're crying, misbehaving, sometimes it's a challenge when we, we look at small children and we begin to play with them and we forget about what we're doing. And so what we have to do is bring a spirit of reverence to this feast divine. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said in verse 27. Whoever eats this bread or drinks 
this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, we'll be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And then look at verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Again, look at what he says. The problem is, here are people not discerning the sacrifice of Jesus. If when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're writing notes or we're texting somebody in worship, or I know that if you've got an iPhone, you can surf the internet, you can do a lot of things. If that's what you're doing during the Lord's Supper, you're not discerning the Lord's body. And what Paul is saying is, you're on perilous grounds. You need to be very careful. You need to understand that this is a very important part, a very important aspect of worship. We're talking about the death of Jesus for sin. For nearly 2,000 years, saints have been partaking of the Lord's Supper. And the challenge has always been present to engage the mind. And, and that's one of the challenges that we face today as members of the body of Christ. And so I think that's why it's so imperative for us to in a sense get in our own world when it comes to partaking of the Lord's Supper. It may be that you need to just put your head down and lock in on this particular act of worship. Whatever, whatever it, it takes to do so in a spirit of reverence. The psalmist said God is to be had in reverence by all of them that are about it. And I think sometimes, for some, worship loses that spirit of reverence and awe. Sometimes maybe we forget that we are in the presence of Almighty God. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are bringing to mind the very death of Jesus. Why are we Christians? Why do we belong to the body of Christ? Why are we members of the church? Because we believe that Christ died for our sins and without him we would be lost. This is not a social gathering. I understand that one of the byproducts of being a member of the body of Christ is fellowship. The early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. But when we come together for the when we come together on the first day of the week, we come together to worship God. Are there benefits and blessings associated with that? Absolutely. One of those benefits, fellowship? Yes, absolutely. But it's not just a social gathering. We're here for a purpose. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, the, the disciples in the city of Troas did what? They worshiped God. And one of the things that they did in their worship to God, they partook of the Lord's Supper. So, introspectively, we evaluate our lives in light of that great sacrifice. And as I mentioned a moment ago, Isaiah, I think, is a great example of someone who saw the king high and lifted up. And without the Lord, without Almighty God and what the Lord has done for us, how miserable we would be. There's a third thing I want to call your attention to. And that is the Lord's Supper requires us 
to look forward to the coming of, of the Savior. And, and the idea here is that we expectantly look for the coming of Jesus. Now somebody might ask the question, when is Jesus going to come? I do not know. I do not know anybody on planet earth that does know. The Bible tells us of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That's what Jesus said. And so Jesus is simply saying we can't discern when he will come. The Bible tells us he's going to come as a thief in the night. But in light of that, I want you to look with me, if you would, at verse 26. I think about verse 26, I guess, every time I partake of the Lord's Supper. Because it has special meaning to me and hopefully it has special meaning to you. Listen to what Paul said. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. First of all, think about the powerful declaration of the Lord's Supper. For nearly 2,000 years, members of the body of Christ have been partaking of the Lord's Supper. You ever thought about what a solemn statement that makes to the world? Look at the world around us. There are a lot of people in our world today, they look at Christianity and they, and they look at it as just one among many religions. Let me tell you what, I believe that Christianity is the only religion sanctioned by Almighty God. I believe that Christianity is the only, is the only religion wherein we have any kind of hope. The only hope. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Christianity is the only hope we have in a lost and dying world. So, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, what are we saying to people in the world? We're saying to people in the world, we believe with all of our heart, soul, and mind that Jesus died for our sins. That's what we're saying. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that Christ also suffered once for sins, that he might bring us to God, the just for the unjust, being put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. Jesus went to the cross for my sins. And so every time I partake of the Lord's Supper, when I partake of that bread, I'm saying to the world, I believe that Jesus gave his body for my sins. When I partake of the cup, the fruit of the vine, I'm saying to the world, I believe in the blood of Jesus. And I believe that without the blood of Jesus Christ washing away my sins, I would not have any hope. What a great proclamation we make every first day of the week. There are a lot of people in our world today, they misunderstand the significance of the Lord's Supper. And yet you and I are saying to a lost and dying world, look, we believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and will one day come again. We believe that. We believe it with all of our heart. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he said, I know whom I have believed. I hope and pray that each of us will develop what, for lack of a better way to say it, what I would call rock-solid conviction. I hope that all of us will have 
conviction in our heart. It says, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I'm going to do my dead level best to live a Christian life, to walk in the light as he is in the light with the assurance that the blood of Christ is constantly at work in my life. Now, what about the prescribed duration of the Lord's Supper? Let me ask this question. How long will we continue to take or partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, listen again to what Paul said. Look at verse 26. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. In other words, until Jesus comes, his people will be partaking of the Lord's Supper. They're going to be partaking of the bread every first day of the week. They're going to be partaking of the fruit of the vine every first day of the week. And go back, to the, go back and look at the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. The breaking of bread, I think there, is a reference to the Lord's Supper. And all Luke was saying is that the early church, in a very steadfast and a regular way, they partook of the Lord's Supper. Now we ask the question, how often did they partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, by way of example, we know that the saints partook of it every first day of the week, Acts chapter 20 at verse 7. You see, the Lord wants us to partake of the Lord's Supper. Sometimes individuals, they partake of the Lord's Supper bi-monthly, maybe semi-annually, sometimes annually. I remember a conversation that a buddy of mine had, buddy of mine and I had with a mutual friend of ours. And this friend of mine who was a member of the church asked this mutual friend of ours, how often do you partake of the Lord's Supper? And I, I can't remember if this fellow said once or twice a year, but it, was, it wasn't weekly, I know that. And he asked this fellow, he said, wonder why that is. And you know what this fellow said? I don't know. We have to know why we do things. Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer, a defense to every man that asks you of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. We ought to know what we believe. Furthermore, we ought to know why we believe it. There are going to be people that you're going to talk to at school, on the job, the ball field, on the golf course, across the fence, in your home, and they're going to ask you from time to time, how often do you partake of the Lord's Supper? You can tell them every first day of the week. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. They're going to ask you, why do you partake of the Lord's Supper? And you're going to tell them, because we are to bring to the fore of our memory the death of Jesus every first day of the week. It never grows stale when you do it right. And so, as Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Memorials have a purpose. They remind us of things. And the Lord's Supper is a divine memorial. It reminds us of the death of Jesus. 
I want to close tonight by asking the question, are you a Christian? One of the privileges of being a member of the body of Christ is that we have forgiveness. Not partial forgiveness, but full forgiveness. The Bible tells us that if we will put our faith and trust in Jesus, repent of our sins, confess his name, and then are immersed in a watery grave of baptism, that every sin will be washed away. That we become members of the body of Christ, Acts 2.47. That we enjoy all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. That we have the quality of life defined as eternal, 1 John 2.25. That we have the promise of the crown of life if we're faithful, Revelation 2.10. Maybe you're, here, maybe you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. Maybe for whatever reason, you forgot about the sacrifice of Christ for your sins. And you have lived as if Christianity didn't matter. Maybe your life has been a poor reflection of Christianity. It might be the case that you've brought shame and reproach on the body of Christ. There's hope for you. The Bible says confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. And we have that opportunity tonight to pray with you and for you if you need to come home as we stand and sing.